0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Product-Led Podcast. My name is Gina Allman, and today we'll be talking about how to form a product-led growth team. Lately, as a team, we've been talking a lot about the steps companies can take to succeed in their transformation from sales-led to product-led. And over the years, we noticed that the first crucial step toward product-led is a shift in the company mindset. But the second equally important step is forming a results-driven product-led growth team dedicated to driving the motion. Today, we will discuss how to form a product led growth team. And to help us unpack this big topic, we have Mario Raussu. Very (laughs) good. (laughs) 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 Mario is a renowned man in the product led growth space as he successfully led a PLG movement in OutSystems before there are frameworks and tools. Mario, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here.
0: All right. So you formed a product-led growth team for a B2B company when nobody else was doing it. What were some of the lessons you learned during the time and how did that shape how you advise other B2B companies today?
1: Yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good question. So the company, first of all, I was doing my team, I should say. And if I say I, I will always mean the team. We were doing a bunch of product-led growth work even before the term existed so this was maybe 10-ish years ago but you know so it was really hard to get experiences from people because there wasn't this common framework that everybody was anchoring to. Starting the team the formal team with this name was also an opportunity at the time because we were seeing I remember we were seeing a bunch of companies being very successful Zoom, for example, HubSpot and whatnot. And they were being sort of positioned as great examples of product-led companies. And so we were just inspired. A few of us were at lunch talking about these things. And we were like, okay. And we were like, the company was growing so much. Still, we were like, okay, what else can we do? What else can we do? And we, were, we, we should look into this because the context was happy B2B sales company, sales cycles of three to nine months, and this was really drastic. Like if we were to really be successful, reducing sales cycles maybe to a week or so would be tremendously important for us. So we were motivated by the challenge. And we were like, okay, let's just take a week to brainstorm this and uh, make a proposal if we ever, after that week, we have something. So we did that one sprint. We realized there was going to be Uh, interesting for us to follow. And we took the first step, which was basically put it in front of the CEO and say, hey, do you want to do this? Here's why. Here's why we believe we should. Do you want to? And that was the first thing that we did. Maybe a little bit naively, but we went straight to the CEO and put that in uh, in front of him at the time. That was crucial for support down the line. But I can elaborate on this a bit later.
0: Great. And so did you feel like the CEO really understood what you're trying to do? Completely.
1: I think the CEO understood it. He was motivated. I don't think at the time, and and not just the CEO, but other CEOs that I've been connecting with, we have to be a little bit cautious of how you position this. Because they can hear one of two things normally. It's like, this is awesome. We're going to double the revenue in three months. Or 10x the revenue in three months. Or they can hear, hmm, this is an interesting hypothesis. I think we should invest in validating it. The second one is what we want them to hear, right? So I am guilty of falling the trap of the first one, which then creates a problem even to your CEO, right? Because they will be advocating based on expectation you set, and it's a probably an unrealistic expectation, most likely an unrealistic expectation, and that creates bumps down the line.
0: Okay. Okay. So you come to your CEO and you tell him about this great idea you have, and then what did you do? Who did you decide to be on your team? Yeah. So it wasn't that quick,
1: I guess. So And, basically, and in companies like this, there's a lot to navigate. So first thing that we need to, if you want sort of a process, there's a goal that we want to achieve. It may be capture a portion of the market that you are not capturing today. Uh, Increase the growth rate of customer acquisition, for example. It can be maybe it's more normally, I guess, what variation of these two. So you you sort of have to package this in the context of your current situation in a measurable, even if rough way. If it's, for example, expanding the market, you can actually say, hey, there's 200,000 companies in the United States that we would go after with this model. And we're not with ours because ours is sales led and can't scale with this, which is less, um, you know, the human touch is lower. You can capture the bigger market. So this is just one example. And so this North star, say 200,000 companies in the United States becomes your your North star. And so the goal is to capture a percentage of these companies as customers or users. Now, if the next step would be to think about what would have to be true for us to be able to actually capture these companies. And um, it could be that the price point of our product uh, needs to be much lower. It could be that the unit economics, uh, you know, how much it costs to serve your software needs to be lower. And another common one would be that the product needs to be able to get people to experience some sort of value in self service and within one day or something like that so this is I and mean, you create sort of a narrative around these things that you use to convince not only the ceo i think it's um the one person that you need to bring in for reasons that we can discuss later But there's not only the CEO. In bigger companies, there's the CEO, there's the CRO, there's the CMO, all the C's, right? You need to convince them all that this is something that you want to invest in. And here's why. Money that goes into this project will not go into the CMO's marketing budget for generating leads with paid advertising, for example, or will not go to the CTO's budget to hire more engineers next year. So there has to be a conscious decision that we're going to do this within this time frame. And then there's the next thing that is important for us to address, which are the timelines and the expectations. It, it has to be clear that, in my opinion, I always say this to companies I advise or will start to advise or we're exploring an opportunity together, is that this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. You may get lucky, but most probably you won't. And so don't count on impacting the numbers in the first two, three quarters. Give the team some space to experiment, to learn. If you trust that this is where you want to go, if you trust that that North Star is more well set, and if you trust your team to do the right thing, then that's important to set those expectations. Once you have the timelines and the expectations more or less set, then we start thinking, okay, what is the first thing that we're going to do that is directionally correct that is going to get us in the right uh, path for our North Star? And that's how normally the I recommend that the first teams are created. So say, for example, that one of the things that we want to do is, and this is one first step that is normally easy to get started, is set up an experimentation team around onboarding if you already have a trial version running. So let's just Set up a very small team to look at the onboarding. And so that's the first team will work on improving the onboarding. First of all, measure how it is, compare it with the benchmarks of the industry or similar products, and then start improving that. So that's normally one first step.
0: Okay. So to recap, to form a really good team, the very first step is you need buy-in. Mm-hmm. Right? So you got you to get your buy-in from the big guys, from the C-suite. Number two, we need to name the goal right? To understand like what the common objective is. Then you need to define timelines and expectations. And then understand the first step you need to take to meet your goals or objectives. And then design your team around that. Correct.
1: The last step is about, you know, come up with an initiative, something that is directionally correct. Come up with one thing, And let's just start working on that one thing that we believe will add value by either improving something immediately or help with the learning of the team.
0: So there's only
1: so much things you don't know.
0: In your experience, a certain formula that helps teams drive results quicker, or is it just really contextual based on the product and the segments they're using or they're working with? So
1: if it's a heavy, Depends on the context, but there are a couple of common ones, I guess. So for a B2B team, sales-led team, sales-led company, there's normally one thing that they can start doing, which is optimizing the time to value of their product, regardless of anything else. If they optimize the time to value of the product, my conversations are almost always like this. And they normally say, oh, it's like you were in our meetings. And uh, we worked together yesterday, I guess, Gina, you and I on a meeting. And the guy was saying, oh, it feels like you were in our meetings in the last couple of uh, weeks or so. Because it's <laughs> almost always this. It's okay. the, you have a product. It's a B2B product. I'm guessing, I'm always saying this, I'm guessing your product has maybe a three to six months time to value. And customer success team needs to be heavily involved. and not all of them get there. And so going from that to a self-service experience, a self-service experience where you sign up and you get the value immediately, that's a, people are looking at a mountain and they don't know how to climb it, if this metaphor makes sense. Yeah. So one, no, one next step can be just to challenge the team, challenge yourself to shorten that time to value. If time to value for 50% of your customers is six months, Let's take a month out of that and another month then another month, regardless if you succeed, becoming like the full self-service product that you envisioned when this all thing started in your company. If you do this for a couple of months, your product will be better after a few months than what it was before. So you made progress. It's directionally correct. Do you have a self-service product ready? Do you have maybe lower cost of economics? Maybe not, but your product is better. You are more competitive. You need less resources for people to get to value and they get to value quicker. So that's already a step in the right direction. So time to value is normally one of the things that can be addressed in a disciplined, quantitative way by a small team of people that you already have in the company. Also, the beauty of picking up with time to value is that you can create a cross-functional team with a customer success person a couple of engineers, and a data scientist, and you will do wonders if you have the autonomy to break some things and to run some experiments there. So yeah, time to value is, um, this time to value uh, motion is one that you can launch. You could also launch something more at the top of the funnel. If you already have a trial, a self-service trial, like I said, you can look at that and try to optimize that journey a bit better. I am constantly surprised how many companies have self-service trials, that need sales to be involved. So that's not truly self-service. Right. Right. And um, yeah, for Software IO, the company that I work with, if people just by merely asking them the credit card information, they will not continue the process. They will go away to another product. Mm-hmm. That's happening to us today. We're fixing it now. But uh, there are little things that you can do to the journey that can get us some results.
0: Okay. So you really dug in about how we can get faster results with B2Bs. How does that change for smaller companies and startups?
1: Good question. So for B2Bs, yes. I've talked about this not being a marathon, uh, actually being a marathon, not a sprint, uh, the sales expectations and the time to value. For smaller companies, what I observe is that normally they are very successful. I mean, I'm talking about smaller companies that already have some traction. There's some level of product market fit and they're having some level of success and they want to be better. They want to start getting it from, okay, we were successful, but we now want to be predictable. We want to grow faster and we want to be more or less predictable so we can get into our next stages. And what I see is that there's, first of all, a misconception about what product-led growth is. Some of them were Purely product-led, like software was uh, and is an example of product-led growth. Launching Product Hunt, and no sales team, no marketing team, thirty thousand users or forty thousand users, just like that, from you know almost in a couple of months, and continues to double and double and double and double, almost without a product marketing. I was the first product growth marketing hire, and and there's a there's a number of companies like this, and I've been talking to my peers as well. So the first misconception is that about what product-led growth is. Some founders will hire a product-led growth person thinking they're hiring a, more or less a CMO plus a product marketing person, plus a product growth person, plus an SEO person. <laughs> so they think they're hiring it all. They really don't grasp it. And so it's, it's our job to educate them. So the second, th- the, which leads them to the second thing, which is educate them on what? What is the process to make a company grow in a predictable way, we need to actually evangelize and clarify and make sure we have the right team, the right resources to execute on these things. If you're not able to get your team, your leadership team that, you know, in a small company, everyone is the leadership team almost. If you mm-hmm. are not able to convince them that if we follow this process, we will get results, then they will always push you to do you know, another blog post or let's try Google ads or, you know, the typical marketing tactics. Those are tactics and growth hacks. Those will not increase your chances of creating a predictable engine of growth. And so the, that's the biggest mistake I see is people investing a bunch of energy in the day-to-day chaos of a startup and not putting in the effort in creating the foundation for growth.
0: Okay. So Which I,
1: takes a few months. To uh, to get going so with
0: that. You said with the smaller businesses that they need to really have the resources to start this motion. So, for smaller, let, let's say we have bootstrap startups, should they not even try to start the motion, or are there other ways they can go about it to drive it with uh, limited resources?
1: So, like my mentor and friend, Elena Werner says, if there is no product market fit, there's nothing to grow. Mm. Right. So that there has to be product market fit. There has to be, you have to be at that stage. If there's product market fit, then you bring the growth team to blow it up. And so that's the stage there. As far as resources are concerned, I like to think about it this way. If you take it, this one is normally understood, which is you can't have a a software engineer, a, a product team without a product manager, a designer, and a couple of engineers. But you can have a product and a designer. And then if, the, if you don't have engineers, you'll ship nothing. If you have just engineers, chances that you ship, you know, a piece of useless software or ugly or unusable are high. So that's the sort of what I'm trying to allude to is the concept of the well-formed team. A well-formed growth, this concept, I believe, applies to growth teams. So product growth teams also need to have to be well-formed. You can outsource It doesn't matter, but the skill needs to be there. And in my view, there has to be a growth person. There has to be a data person and a designer, more or less on the solution side of the design, not the high-fidelity design, but at Mm -hmm. least these three with access to engineers. They don't have to be in the beginning part of the team, but with access to engineers so you can run experiments, this is the basic setup for you to be able to run the process of researching coming up with hypotheses launching solutions testing them and the cycle continues
0: okay great great that's much clearer so i mean in general then so what i'm hearing is that for the growth teams you really need to choose based on the skill sets that will help drive your objectives to meet the goals that you've set initially when when starting this motion correct yes so i mean is there and you kind of, you dipped into it just a little bit as far as like a general formula or of like a, the skill sets that you want on a team. So for instance, in general, you don't necessarily need to have an engineer on your team, but you need to have access to an engineer. You want somebody from design. Mm-hmm. Who else?
1: A data person and a growth person.
0: Yeah. So like data, growth and design. Yeah. Okay.
1: Exactly. So more on the user experience design of things, less on the graphical design of things. Because most often than not, for example, if you're optimizing the signup flow of 1Password, for example, it's not so much how the... Obviously, the high fidelity of the design is important, but the function is more important. If you remember when Zoom first launched, it was really ugly. It's still not a beautiful piece of software, some people might say, But Zoom was ugly, but it worked. It Mm -hmm. always worked. It got worse a little bit as they went to more complex companies. But in the beginning, I mean, good luck setting up a WebEx call without having to wait for 10 or 15 minutes. With Zoom, it was done in a second. And so there was the work, I believe, of designers that were worried about the function, not about the high fidelity of the design.
0: So where does um, the marketing team or product management team fit into this?
1: That's a good question. So the the way I see it, there's a marketing team that has to worry about channel marketing, channel marketing, performance marketing, brands, uh, social media. There's a bunch of product marketing. I don't know if I mentioned but There's a bunch of things that need to be done for a product, for marketing a product. So the product growth team is looking at the experience of the product and trying to optimizing it and turn the product into a channel a relevant channel for acquisition retention and so on so yeah so this is this is more or less where i where i see things and then the product growth team can be inside marketing or inside product in my opinion But anyway, it's irrelevant. Uh, That's why if if you have access to engineers, if you're set up in a way that you can follow the process of experimentation and research and experimentation, then it doesn't really matter where where you sit.
0: All right. Is there a set number of people on a team in general that companies should strive to have? Or is it, again, just really dependent on the size of the company, what's going on? I mean, if, if there's some sort of like magic number that you've noticed really gets results better?
1: Yeah, I think more than one, just more than one for sure. I think it's easy to do it with less than three just because the skill set is so different. There's only so much data analysis that I can do. I don't have the depth to do it. So I think it will be hard to start without at least the growth person, the data person and the engineers or access to engineers, but at least those two. But um, if I have to start one from scratch, again, one designer, one data scientist, and a growth
0: person. Great, wonderful. And then do you have any recommendations for companies that are just starting to form their product-led growth teams now? All the wealth you already gave us. (laughs) Yeah,
1: obviously the goal. What is it that they're trying to achieve? And will they be able to, and understanding that, the three roles that I mentioned, yeah, just um, ask yourself if you're setting yourself for success, or if not. I, I don't think it, it's worth to start a team if you don't have product market fit, and or if you can't have a team to actually execute on the strategy. This is for the more for the smaller companies. For the bigger companies, it's okay to start smaller because you know sometimes creating that. Formula around or narrative around the gold, the North Star, and what we need and where we want to get to in two years or one year. Sometimes that takes a month or two. And so it's work that can be done with one person consulting a bunch of others. So there's that nuance there. Actually, if you get the PLG team into a con, like I mentioned with the three roles, into a context of this big company and just now go and do your PLG stuff. It's not going to work because the product surface is so big. There's so much red tape. They will start a fight for which they're not prepared. So uh, yeah. So if you're a bigger company, set up the context for the team to be successful even before getting the team. And please, please, please get them out of all the formalities that you might be running, like SAFE and all those project management methodologies and all those PMO things that may be valuable in some context, but for an agile, like fast team of that wants to experiment and do a bunch of stuff, not so much complete stuff, but uh, accelerate their learning that will hurt more than that will actually that will actually not hurt. That will completely break the the process.
0: I heard one phrase, somebody called it like failing up, you know, or or failing successfully. You know, that Mm -hmm. motion of just always trying to experiment and and pivot from the results, right? I like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't go to the growth team and and demand results because they are... I mean, you can not demand results if you consider learning a result. Mm -hmm. But they work based on hypothesis. We believe that if we do this, this will have this impact. But it's really hard for us in growth teams to be able to tell you... Yeah, we'll commit to a million dollars today for three months from now. We don't know how we're going to get there. Also, leaders need to be at peace with the fact that these teams are going to explore. Mm -hmm. And it's okay if you, you know, most people are remote right now in at least the people that I engage with, but you know, it's okay if a team member takes a break to read the book or two takes a break just to walk outside and think about and just think and get the steam down because it's a cre- as much a creative as uh, scientific work and if you put these teams under the microscope of what have you done today what have you delivered today what are you going to do tomorrow it's just going to be uh, tremendously unproductive so there was there's this book called slack uh, actually not related with slack um, <laughs> it was actually before slack the product was launched that is very well illustrative of this. Yeah.
0: I feel like that really speaks to that shift, that major shift in uh, changing the cultural mindset too. I mean, what company do you know is like, all right, guys, we're going to form a team and we're going to fail a bunch of times and we're going to pay you to fail, (laughs) you know, because so many times like success-based rewards.
1: Exactly. Um, and this
0: strategy is completely challenging that,
1: you know? Exactly, um, exactly. Yeah. And there's, there's this example I give of a manager that goes to the growth leader and asks, hey, tell me all the experiments that you're going to run in the next three months. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, yeah. a, how can you possibly no. know, right? It's just, exactly. it, unless you've been doing a lousy job executing on the experiments, there's no way you will know.
0: Yeah, if you know you're not doing it right. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly, yeah. precisely, yeah. precisely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, again, managers out there, cut your growth people some slack, uh, <laughs> and you'll be amazed on how much more creative they, were, they are going to be.
0: Awesome. Well, great. This has been really fun, Mario. And I think we ending here with a really good idea of how we can get some teams going for both B2B larger companies and uh, smaller. And startups. So, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. It was great.
1: Thank you for listening to the Product Led Podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, We will definitely create more content just like this episode. And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your
0: favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.